There's one name that pretty much everyone in the world knows, but maybe not everyone really knows. That name is Jesus Christ. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the reason we have Christmas. You know his teachings. Love your enemies, love one another, and if you love me, keep my commandments. But despite knowing all of this, people still wonder who was Jesus and why is he still relevant today? In 60 seconds, here's a short version. We begin with his title, Christ. It points to the fact that Jesus was not just a man or a teacher. He's the promised Messiah spoken of in the Old Testament who would come to save his people, that's all of us by the way, from sin and death. He's proof that God loves all of his children. Jesus is also the Son, or in other words, the Son of God. That's what gave him the power to come to earth, share God's teachings, and perform great miracles. His greatest miracle is giving every human being the opportunity to have life and happiness beyond mortality. All we have to do is believe in him and try our best to follow his example and teachings. Sometimes we fail, but that's exactly why Jesus came to earth in the first place and why he's still relevant for each of us today. But really, we've only just begun. So click a button and find out more about Jesus the Christ. Family, it makes a nice picture, but what if we look outside the frame? Could we see something bigger? So each of us is born. We're cute, but pretty helpless by ourselves. And as we get older, well, it doesn't really change. When families take care of each other, it makes the communities they live in stronger. The more loving families and strong communities, the better the world becomes. But family is far bigger than just the here and now. We wouldn't be who we are without our ancestors. That's why we have a responsibility to find them, learn their stories, and make sure they're never forgotten. We can also look ahead to family relationships so strong they last beyond this life. Inside sacred buildings called temples, couples can be married not just until death do you part, but for eternity, so families can be together forever, even after death. Who made this possible? God did. Why? God isn't just our Creator, He's our Father. We are His children, His family. That's the big picture, and we're all a part of it. God sees us for who we can be. So how do we get there? And what if we make mistakes along the way? Every day we are faced with choices. To help us make good decisions, God gives us commandments. Try not to think of them as a big list of rules that get in the way. Instead, each commandment is a light. Together, they show us the best path in life, so we can avoid things that make us unhappy. But we are not perfect, and sometimes we lose sight of God's path and we find ourselves in darkness. It's a lonely feeling. That's why we have repentance. It's not about feeling guilty. It's about asking God for help. After all, He loves us. In fact, because His Son, Jesus Christ, paid the price for all our sins and mistakes, we can experience one of the most joyful feelings in the world. Forgiveness. It's a light so bright it makes the shadows of our mistakes disappear. As far as God is concerned, it's like they never happened at all. Churches come in all shapes and sizes. Some churches have rock bands. Some have choirs. 
Some were on TV and preached to millions, while others reached just a handful of believers. But why? Why are there so many and so different? And more importantly, what happened to the church Jesus Christ organized? To be brief, it's like this. Jesus was a master teacher. He showed us the type of people we need to be to live with God again. And since that's no easy task, he created a church, a place where believers could learn and live the things he taught. He chose 12 apostles or leaders to guide the church after his death and ascension into heaven. The apostles worked really hard to keep it all together, but eventually people split off and formed other churches. And they didn't always stay true to the things Jesus taught. For hundreds of years, people only had parts of Christ's original teachings. But when the time was right, Jesus restored all that was lost and started his church again through a prophet named Joseph Smith. Twelve new apostles were chosen to help lead the church, just like before. So there it is. His church existed before, and it exists today, benefiting and blessing the lives of millions all over the world, and right in your neighborhood. If we take a second to look around, we'll notice patterns everywhere. We can find them in nature and throughout history. Patterns can teach us about life and how things are created. They can even teach us about God and how God teaches us. Throughout time, God has followed a pattern to give us guidance and direction. He does this through prophets. Prophets are like a spokesperson for God, someone who receives the authority to act in His name and share His teachings with the world. You've probably read about prophets from the past, like Noah, Abraham, and Moses, who were called by God for a specific time in history to teach and guide His children. So, what do prophets teach exactly? They teach us how to find happiness, how to be a good person. Prophets teach us how to keep our families safe and strong. But the main role of a prophet is to teach and testify of Jesus Christ and show us how we can better follow Him, just as He did before. Today, God continues to follow a pattern of providing us with guidance and direction through prophets. These prophets are for us, for our world, with all its opportunities and challenges. Times certainly have changed, but the way God works hasn't. He still works through a pattern of calling prophets. We all have fears. Fears of the dark. Fears of being alone. Fears of being nothing. And we tend to be afraid of the things we don't know. And one of the greatest unknowns is the great unknown, death. For many, this mystery can be a source of confusion, anxiety, and fear. From our perspective, death may seem like a terrible, gloomy end. So let's shed some light on life after death. Death is actually part of God's plan for us. You see, before we came to this earth, we lived with God as His spirit children. When we came to earth, we received a physical body, the one you can feel and touch and see in the mirror. Then when we get old or sick, our time here comes to an end. We die, but our spirit lives on. But that's not the end of the story. Our families, our friends, all those who have passed on before us will be there too. 
And one of the most glorious parts of God's plan is that our spirit will be reunited with our physical body. No, 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 not like that. A resurrected, perfect body. You might be asking, how is this possible? Because of Jesus Christ, through his resurrection, he overcame death, making it possible for us to be resurrected too, every single one of us, so we can live with God and the ones we love forever. It's all part of God's bigger plan, a plan for our happiness, and it's a pretty big plan. So if you have some questions, don't be afraid to ask. amazing. Yes, you. Take your body, for instance. Did you know you have 206 bones? Or that your brain makes a billion, billion calculations every second? But that's not even the most amazing thing about you, because inside is something far more important. It's your spirit. Oh, now, let's lose the sheet. That's better. Your spirit body looks like your physical body. It's what makes you move, live, and breathe. It's like a hand inside a glove, or an operating system inside a smartphone. So, who made this spirit body of yours? God did. The Bible says he's the father of our spirits, and no two spirits are alike. God did that on purpose, because God has a purpose for you. He wants your spirit to develop, to learn, to overcome hard times, and enjoy good times, and become gradually more and more like Him. Because that's what any good father would want. And that is what our Heavenly Father wants for you. How do you find the time in a modern society like ours to feel and heal? You had these hopes and dreams of birthday parties, marriage, graduation from college. All those things are instantly gone. And at first the shock and the denial, my loved one is really gone. After the funeral, the reality starts to set in and someone realizes it's real, they're not coming back, and they may even feel vulnerable. What else is going to go wrong in my life? Many people believe if they have faith, they shouldn't grieve. It's not the case. Faith can be one component of loss and grief, and sadness can be another component, and they don't need to conflict. We can have faith and still feel sad. We all grieve differently, just as we're as different as our thumbprint. We grieve in our own way. Someone may need to protect themselves, not go to a wedding when their child will never experience a wedding. After a certain amount of time, we encourage people to push themselves to go to things. But at first, they may need to protect themselves. One of the struggles that individuals have that are grieving is that they worry about how people respond to their true feelings. So they put a mask on and they wear that mask to protect themselves. Then when they get home, they'll take the mask off, cry and mourn. 
and sometimes that's okay. With time, people will grieve less and will grieve less often. You have greater control of when you feel that grief and where you go with that grief. They will find a new normal. The new normal is different than the past, but they can still find peace and happiness and hope. The Holy Bible or Biblia Sacra is a holy library. That's right. It's not a single book, but rather a collection of sacred books. In reality, it's a compilation of histories recorded by many authors. More than that, it's scripture, inspired words from God, given to men and women from about 4000 BC to about 95 AD. That's a long time, so unsurprisingly, there's a lot to be said. This collection of holy writings follows a pattern where God reveals truth through His servants. While there's a ton of good advice, the crux of the entire collection centers on Jesus the Christ. The Old Testament foreshadows His coming and details the history of God's people. The New Testament covers His birth, ministry, life, death and resurrection. It also describes how Jesus organized His church on earth and equipped His servants to spread His gospel. But that's really just the beginning of 5,000 years of God speaking to us. There's much more to discover. Maybe you've been wondering if the Ten Commandments are still relevant, or what on earth a beatitude is, or perhaps you simply want to become a better follower of Jesus. We'll help you explore these questions and more with a personalized Bible study. Whether you're jumping in for the first time or rekindling a lost love for the Bible, there's unlimited wisdom to uncover together. Sign up today at comeuntochrist.org. A lot of people are wondering, what's the deal with the Book of Mormon? Maybe they've heard of the musical. Maybe they thought it was funny. But then they're curious. What is it? And why should I care? To put it briefly, in about 60 seconds, here's the what and the why of the Book of Mormon. What is it? It's a book of scripture full of stories about God's love for all people and all places. Where's the setting? The Americas, but over 2,000 years ago. What's the plot? Basically, it's an epic tale of war and peace and good and evil that follows the lives of men and women who lived long ago, but who believed in and even predicted the coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, the entire story centers on him, his birth, teachings, and appearance in ancient America after his death and resurrection in Jerusalem. Remember when Jesus said, other sheep I have which are not of this fold? Well, as it turns out, his believers in the Americas were some of those other sheep. And the key part of the Book of Mormon chronicles his visit and ministry. That's why the Book of Mormon is called another testament of Jesus Christ. But that's really just the beginning of the story. By now, you probably have questions. So click a button below and I'll tell you more. There was a girl and her dad who went to fly a kite. As the kite climbed, the girl said, Dad, make it go higher. So he let out more string and the kite slowly rose. Higher, the girl exclaimed, and the kite rose further to her delight. 
When the string reached its limit, the girl asked her father to cut the string so the kite could go even higher. Her dad warned her that this wouldn't work, but the girl insisted. So her dad lovingly cut the string, and the kite lurched and swayed and tumbled to the ground. At times, we think that obedience holds us down, that commandments are only restrictions. But as we brave the winds of adversity and the tempests of this world, being tied to God's path will always help us reach our highest potential. I'm here to teach you a really simple way to memorize the Ten Commandments in order using your hands. Number one is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So we just make a one with our finger and have it pointing towards heaven, like it's pointing toward God. There's only one God. Kind of going along with that, the second commandment is, thou shalt not bow down to any false gods or false images. Uh, you can remember this one by using two fingers. One of them is that idol that we were talking about you shouldn't worship, and the other is somebody bowing down to it. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You can remember this one by using three fingers because it's the third commandment and putting them over your mouth. Kind of as a reminder to watch the words that you say and use them for good. The fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You can remember this one by using four fingers and making them into a little church because it's important to go to church on Sundays. The fifth commandment is honor thy father and thy mother. Uh, we make this one by using five fingers and kind of forming a salute uh, to show respect and obedience to them because they deserve it. Thou shalt not kill. You can make two guns with either hand as a reminder to just don't kill, don't do it. The seventh commandment is thou shalt not commit adultery. You can remember this one by using two fingers to represent a little bride and a groom on top of a wedding cake using your five fingers. The eighth commandment is thou shalt not steal. Use four fingers to make a little wallet and the other four fingers to take something out of it that they probably shouldn't. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Or in other words, don't lie, be honest. You can remember this one by getting four fingers and putting them as if they're on a Bible and the other five in the air as if you're testifying in court. And then finally, number 10 is thou shalt not covet. Or in other words, don't be envious of what other people have. We do this one by using all 10 fingers, putting them around our eyes as if we're looking at something that our neighbor has that we really want. And there you have it. The Ten Commandments are important even to us in our day because the Lord has promised us a lot of blessings for living them. If you'd like to learn more about those blessings or about the Ten Commandments in general, you can go straight to the source in Exodus 20 in the Bible. Eric Sosa. I live in Los Angeles, California. I'm a, actually a digital sculptor. I work in the toy industry. I've done hundreds of different types of toys and action figures. I'm just gonna build up the muscles. You know, being a dad, being a husband, and having to deal with deadlines, extreme deadlines many times. It's a little tough, but in terms of challenges, everybody goes through them. Almost six years ago, our daughter Erica was born. Um, she was born with Down syndrome. It wasn't only that, uh, she, she had some major health issues. So they told us that she would not make it. It was really shocking. I couldn't see into the future. I just, all I saw was the problem. And the problem was like, my daughter is gonna die. And then I started thinking all these negative things. 
this is going to create some huge stress in my marriage. This is probably going to end in a divorce. I'm probably going to be at my daughter's funeral in a couple of weeks from now. The gospel of Jesus Christ actually helped me stay anchored to my hopes and my, my faith that, that God would actually work things out for us. One day I remember after coming back from the hospital, feeling particularly uh, depressed, I uh, started listening to a sermon. And he was talking about uh, trials and things like that. And he said basically, God is our Father and He loves us. And if we need His help, we can ask for it. I remember closing my laptop. I went into the room. I knelt in prayer and basically just poured my heart out and told, told God that I, I really that I really needed His help. This overwhelming uh, feeling of peace completely surrounded me. And all the feelings of, of unrest, pain, negativity, they were completely gone. Bravo! High five! What an amazing blessing it is to have a strong connection with God through prayer. Collier. I made quite a few bad decisions early on in life and found myself pregnant and homeless on the streets of downtown Seattle. In my mind, I was 100% certain God hated me and I was trying my best to make him mad. One day while at a soup kitchen, I passed out, woke up two weeks later, in the ICU. I pleaded with God to let me keep my baby. And I had a spiritual awakening. I had a reassurance that it would be okay. I went online for places for women with children to go and House of Hope popped up. And we stayed there for two years. This is the actual house that, that we stayed in. Things did not turn around right away. I had to learn how to be a mom again to my boys there. I remember feeling really sad whenever I would think about my bad choices. I had to make a conscious effort to rely on Jesus Christ and I got down on my knees and prayed and I decided to get baptized and I felt this was gonna wash it all away. At the baptism, I felt completely forgiven. I felt like a new woman. Like here, you get to start over again. You get a do-over. <laughs> Jesus Christ has rewarded me with happiness. We have peace now. <laughs> and my boys are thriving. I never could have imagined feeling this amount of peace in my life. My worst day today is a thousand times better than my best day during my time in the streets. 
John Lewis. I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. Yeah, nah, you know, I'm just a college student, you know. It could be worse. My mom raised me and my two sisters alone. My father was a fireman uh, for the New Orleans Fire Department, and he passed away uh, when I was six months old in the line of duty. I heard a lot about him from, you know, people whose lives he affected, um, and they spoke very highly of him. Uh, it really gave me something to shoot for as far as, you know, the kind of man I wanted to be in my life. I grew up in the 8th Ward. The 8th Ward was a bubble. And within the 8th Ward, you know, my block was an even smaller bubble. I wasn't exposed to the diversity of life. Nobody understood that, you know, you have more options than selling drugs or playing sports. My mom was raising me alone. And in spite of all the hardship we went through, she really instilled in us that uh, something's always better than nothing. There's a phrase I really like, and it's called living in the blessing. Well, my initial blessing was just being my father's son. My father didn't have to be here to bless me, you know? I try to live my life in a way that makes not only me proud, but a way that'll make my kids proud. Jesus Christ gave us an example of how to live your life gratefully. In that way, gratitude is important because it is only through truly being grateful for my life that I can live my life to the fullest. I'm actually part of an organization uh, that is helping homeowners clean up debris from the tornadoes that just passed. Gratitude gives me peace in a lot of ways. I have so much to be grateful for that it would be disrespectful to God if I wasn't happy. You know, by living my life optimistically, I'm paying it forward with what God has given me. If you've ever seen a temple of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you probably noticed it doesn't look like other buildings. That's on purpose. So what makes it different? Well, let's go back to biblical times. From the very beginning, God's people have built temples. Moses had his tabernacle, a sort of traveling temple. Then Solomon built a temple, one of his greatest achievements. During his life, Jesus Christ spent a lot of time in the temple at Jerusalem, helping, healing, and teaching. And basically, that's still what happens in temples today. Here, let me show you. A temple is different from other church buildings. Inside the different rooms, people make promises with God. Promises to keep His commandments, promises to be good husbands and wives, promises to share what we have to help take care of each other. Because Latter-day Saints believe families are eternal, temple marriages are performed to last forever, so families can always be together, and that includes our ancestors too. So who can go inside a temple? Well, at first, everyone. When a new temple is built, there's an open house for the public. Afterwards, it's only open to members of the church who have prepared themselves to make sacred promises with God. The truth is, temples aren't special because they look pretty from the outside. Instead, it's about what happens in the hearts of the people inside, because that's where God does His most important work. <laughs>